Welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowds Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and tonight in the middle of the Paralympics, it's day two right now for us, uh, I'm joined by Dan. So how are you tonight? I'm well, thanks, Jackie. I'm not sure that we get at the point where I call it the, the middle of the Paralympics. It's, it's day two. It's day two. It's still early. Yeah, that's true. Um, and we don't quite have olympic or paralympic exhaustion yet that usually sets in that's how i know we're at the middle of the game so we're doing pretty well there's been some great action and we're going to get into all of it so i thought we'd start with not the actual action of the sport because there's currently been 20 gold medals that have been handed out we'll start just a few yeah we'll start with the opening ceremony (laughs) because that was on friday night and Look, before I get into my gripes about Channel 7, uh, it was gorgeous. It was actually a really, really nice opening ceremony. Very artistic, um, not quite as like, big and loud as the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics opening ceremony was. It was more, I guess, soft is actually the right way to put it. Um, what did you think of it, Dan? I thought it was really elegant. I thought they they didn't go for anything that was too wild or out there. It was, I mean, it, it was beautiful and, and there was complexity to it but at the end of the day it was a fairly like simple and elegant and classy so it's going to be one that we look back on not for its flashy but for the way it kind of captured the moment of the Paralympics and I think that's a really great reflection of the games. Yeah I thought that the way that they presented the symbols for the Paralympic games the agitos um, that was gorgeous because typically it's something big it's something huge for the Olympics they did it as like a digital block of ice which looks sick but for this it was the a couple of children drew the symbol on a vision impaired man's hand. Uh, he like reached down, touched the digital floor that they have in the bird's nest at the moment. Uh, that lit up the floor. And then once the camera panned up, it was on everyone that was performing in that number's hand as well. And I was just like, it got me like choked up when I was watching it. I was just like, this is incredible. And there is no footage of it online, which I think is additionally like disappointing because it was one of the best moments of the opening ceremony. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of captured that, you know, we talk about we the 15 um, at times of the Paralympics because that is a, a really big message of the Paralympics. And that unveiling of the Ajitos really captured the spread of the Paralympic spirit and the importance of it. And so I thought that was a really fitting moment. And I mean, we, we can talk about the travesties of the broadcast and what's online another time if you want, um, or maybe we shouldn't. But um, yeah, the fact that that's not floating around online going viral is a bit of a travesty as well. Yeah, and the number that followed, the Paralympic Waltz, was also additionally gorgeous. And I thought the fact that they used, I think it was about 50% of the performers in that number were um, hearing impaired, which you don't actually see a lot of hearing impaired athletes at the Winter Paralympics, um, which is an added measure of inclusion. But then they had 13 um, performers around the side doing sign language um, and it's additionally important because this is the 13th Paralympics that's why they selected that number as but yeah I thought that like that whole performance because it didn't just start with the um, dancers waltzing around it was additional elements to the performance but adding sign language into the performance is just like extra steps towards inclusion that we don't see in like a lot of performances these days but when you do notice it you're like wow that's really cool yeah, and a lot of the things that I find about um, particularly the, the opening and closing ceremonies of the Paralympics is that there's all these things that we think, oh, these are cool, but actually the novelty should have long worn off on things. You know, having 
um, you know, sign language interpreters for, for everything is something that we should be seeing more and more commonplace. And so it's a good reminder um, of how far we have to go still. Yeah, and I think the last thing to touch on is the Parade of Nations, where the Australian team had a very different outfit to the Australian Olympic team. It's a lot more um, regional Australia, I think, or you're, the phrase you used to me privately was very country. Um, but what I actually really liked about the Parade of Nations, and I'm like, oh, I wish they had done this at the Olympics, is having Shui Ron Ron like, welcome them in to the uh, Paralympic Stadium or the Bird's Nest. Because I just thought that that was like, I was like, oh, if they had done that with Bing Dwayne Dwayne as well, oh, like, you, you just want more Bing cool. Dwayne airtime. That's, that's all this is. Yes. You, don't, you don't really care about these things. You just want more Bing Dwayne Dwayne. <laughs> this is a Bing Dwayne Dwayne propaganda podcast, but at the same time, like, Shui Ron Ron is really cute. Although I find it very admirable that the individuals in the actual suits for the mascot were like welcoming them into the stadium on rollerblades. Like, I get that that makes it easier to move between the teams, but, like, the training that you must have to do to do that in that suit in rollerblades. I would be no chance. But we might move on to the actual sport action, and we'll start with the alpine skiing, because that is where majority of the medals have occurred so far. I am far. exhausted by the alpine skiing already. <laughs> Uh, and I thought we'd start with what happened on Saturday, which was the downhill event. Um, spoilers, no Aussie medals so far. No Aussie medals to speak of so far. Uh, and we'll go with Mitchell Gawley, who was one of our flag bearers at the opening ceremony. So in the downhill event, he finished 20th overall. But it's a lot better than it sounds because it was very close between like fifth place and 20th place. There were a lot of people within a few seconds of each other. Um, he finished with a time of 122.21. Meanwhile, the victor, Arthur Bochet, had a time of 1 minute 14.92. Um, this was in the standing event, obviously. Uh, he didn't completely blow his competition out of the water. There were some that were a lot more spaced out. Uh, Austria's Marcus Salter uh, had a time of 1 minute 15.25. And Theo Gumu from Switzerland had a time of 116.17. So, like, the podium was well and truly on top, but then there were a lot of people between, like, 5th and 20th in the end. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's, you know, what we have kind of gotten used to seeing on this particular alpine skiing course. Um, you know, people will end up a long way down the list and really not very far off those times. I mean, they're the times were really closely stacked up in the Olympics. And the fact that it's carried forward to the Paralympics is not at all unsurprising. I mean, the, these athletes are high performance athletes and it is a, a margin of, you know, sometimes hundreds of seconds between. So I mean, Mitch Gawley finishing 20th is, you know, an incredible result. It's probably not quite what he was dreaming of, but to finish 20th in the world and be just, you know, a couple of seconds off the podium is a, a pretty incredible feat. Yeah, and I think the fact that the downhill isn't his specialty is needed to be taken into note. When he won that super combined world championship, he was sixth after the downhill and then was like well and truly on top of everyone in the slalom. So uh. his his best chance is probably going to be the giant slalom or the super combined, but still getting the times in there. Uh, we'll stick with Mitch because he was also in action today in the Super G. Uh, he did not finish. <laughs> there was a lot of did not finishes today, actually. That's also a common theme on these slopes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the winner this time was China's Liang Jingyi, 
who finished with a time of 1 minute and 9.11 seconds. Uh, Marcus Stalter was also a silver medalist in this event, so he's cleaning up the silvers, just unfortunately not getting those gold medals. 0.24 uh, of a second behind is crushing March, and it's so close. Yeah, and then Alexis Guimond from Canada was a time of 1 minute and 10.02. So... A lot closer, the standing Super G event. Um, a lot more DNFs across all of the Super G events just because the like actual gates are, I think, 15 metres apart rather than like different distances that can be anywhere between like 18 and 30 metres apart. So it's a lot tighter to make yeah, that. Yeah, Super G is a much tougher event on that front. But it also looked like a harder course today just as far as the, it was a little bit, the course was a little bit brown um because obviously some of that ice would have started to have melted but also just it looked a bit um more snowy a bit more fresh powder on top and it's not even that it's snowed it's just that it's been carved up and so there's bits of snow that you'll hit and sometimes if you hit a bit of snow and it wipes out your line you're done <laughs> and that was what happened a lot today uh, and then there's the sitting event which sam tate's competing in both times he's competed, he's looked really, really good, and then he misses his line and then wipes out effectively. Um, I mean, this yeah. sport is a is one of you know yeah. absolutely the smallest margins. We're talking you know a millimeter of snow or a millimeter of ski in the wrong spot, and the race is over, or you've lost a whole bunch of time. So, it's, yeah, it's one for the margins. But Corey Peters well, seems to have found his margins. He's racing for our. Uh, brothers and sisters just across the, the ditch um, and he's picked himself up a silver medal in the super g and a gold in the downhill which is a pretty nice haul to come back with you know two paralympics from two events and he's got the rest of the paralympics to relax net right uh, yeah i think that he will be going for five medals um what? No. I, I would two, hope so enough. no one ever wants five what do you mean look I think everybody wants five. Um, the funny thing about the sitting event is, because there's actually like quite a few athletes competing in the sitting event. I think it's upwards of 15, might even be in the 20s. Um, is It's been the exact same three individuals. It's just that Corey Peters and Jesper Peterson have swapped places uh, between the, city, uh, the downhill and the Super G events. So Corey obviously won the down and then Jesper's won the Super G event. But also you've got Taiki Mori, who has won bronze both times in the event. Um, and like, it's you've won bronze. <laughs> it's a big field and it is the same three people on the podium every time. If it keeps up like this, I, I don't know how I'm going to be like writing about it by the end of these games because it would just be, how has this continually happened? Um, I mean, we, we but, joke, but those kinds of things do happen. We've seen a number of times across different Olympics and Paralympics that two athletes are, become rivals and keep picking off alternating medals, basically. Yeah, I mean, if you, like, Taiki Mori, I'm, it's one of those things where I'm like, if you go home with five bronze medals, like, and it's still just Peterson and Parker at the top, it's like, you can't complain. Like, it's basically just like, if they're not here, I am the best. <laughs> but I mean, it's hard to say I am undisputedly the third best in the world because I have yeah. all of the bronze medals. I may not have I, anything better than that, but I have all of the bronze medals. No one can claim yeah. third except me. Yeah, most consistent performer, that's for sure. 
Australia also had Patrick Jensen in the visually impaired category. He was joined by his guide, Amelia Hogson. And they are so much fun to watch. Like yes. the way that they are cheering each other on on the slopes as well as like actually being guided. Like when you watch the visually impaired, it is interesting in itself because of the fact that it's two people on the course um, and <laughs> they are, it is very talkative. But a lot of the time the talk is not as happy as these two are. Sometimes it's a little bit yelling at each other from other teams. That's where I was just like, oh my God, it's so heartwarming. And then there's like, they've come in an eighth and sixth, like in the two events. So in downhill, they finished in eighth. And then in the Super G, they finished sixth. And it's not like a whole bunch of people wiped out at DNF. I think there was still like 11 finishes in the Super G today. So like, you're ahead take, of quite a few people. <laughs> I will take the Friendship Paralympics for all their worth as well, because I mean, we... <laughs> If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know how much we love the Friendship Olympics. Um, I am bringing the Friendship Paralympics to the fore as well because it is time for that and the fangirling and the fanboying to begin. Yeah, and then the podium was very close in the downhill event. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that was between first and third, 0.65 seconds. So Johannes Eigner from Austria took out gold. Uh, Mac Markov ended up with the silver medal and then Hyacinth de la Place took bronze for France. Uh, they were obviously all joined by guides, um, which I like the fact that the guides additionally also get to take home that medal. I know some people don't agree with it, but I'm like, they ski the course. Like how, it's not that they're they doing not? anything. I mean, yeah. It's not just that they ski the course and they ski it faster than all the other guides because, you know, they ski is given but they're an essential part of that gold medal process because visually impaired skiers are not getting down the hill without help. Like, and definitely not at the speeds that these guys are pushing. That's, I mean, the speeds that they're pushing are certifiable regardless of whether you can, you know, see everything you need to see or not. But to do it visually impaired, there's such a heavy reliance on the guide. And I think that there shouldn't be any question that the guides should be gold medalists as well. Yeah, and the podium was a little bit different in the Super G event. Neil Simpson from Great Britain took out gold. Uh, Giacomo Bertagnoli uh, took out silver. And Johannes Eigner won a medal again, this time bronze. Um, there was 0.83 seconds between him and Neil Simpson. So, like, it's definitely a lot more close in the Super G events, that's for sure, compared to the downhill. But at the same time, like, it is impressive that they are getting down these hills with these partners. Um, well, and should we and talk about the fact that Neil Simpson's guide is his brother Andy as well? I mean, that seems like the perfect pairing, the perfect pairing for this kind of thing. Yeah, there's <laughs> the stories that people would write if they were twins rather than just siblings. Like, it'd be like twin telepathy and all so of that it, stuff. It reminds me a little bit of, um, and I know we, we try not to dip into the, um, Olympics too much, but Alistair and Jonathan Brownlee are two triathlete brothers from Great Britain. And not at this Olympics, but previously, they have dragged each other to gold and silver um, as they fatigue in world championships and Olympic events. And everyone writes the stories of the brothers. So I hope the Simpsons are getting the same attention because they absolutely <laughs> deserve it, taking each other there. 
And we're going to go to the women's alpine events because we've still got six more gold medals to talk about here. I was going to start with the vision impaired this time because Henrietta Farkasova has won 10 Paralympic gold medals in alpine skiing now. Um, she finished in a time of a 1 minute and 19.50 seconds, 2.5 seconds ahead of the silver medalist Zhu Zhangqing from China, which was China's first medal of the Games. Um, I like there's there's certain levels of dominance. Unfortunately, um, Fakasova did not win a medal today in the Super G event. She ended up having a DNF, but still, like to have won ten gold medals across four Paralympics, like that's just wild. And this was her first ever downhill gold. It's okay. We know that the goats don't like this course. I mean, <laughs> it's okay. But the fact that Fakasova is taking home a gold medal and it's her first downhill at her fourth Olympics is. That's a pretty special story regardless. And then you remember, oh, wait, she's got nine other gold medals and is probably the GOAT. Um, but there was also Millie Knight on the podium from Great Britain. She was 3.7 seconds behind Fargo Sober, but that's like just, no, no, no one was near her. Um, and I'm sure that had she actually finished that Super G course today, she would have been on the podium considering just how unbelievably far ahead she was. Uh, and then we look at the Super G Another Slovakian did take out a goal, so like at least the assigned country still wins the gold medal. This time it was Alexandra Rexova. She finished at the time of 1 minute 17.01, 1.78 seconds ahead of Mina Fitzpatrick from Great Britain. And then Zhu Dangqing also finished on the podium uh, with a time of 1 minute and 19.30 seconds. It was same countries on the podium, just different athletes as well as like a little bit of a change up in the order I mean, shoot touching is on both podiums and that's a, a pretty impressive feat so there's a fair claim to say that that's the dominance but i think that anyone who's going to say that if we're going to base dominance in this sport um we probably should also look at who dnf'd and how fast they were going when they dnf because i think as much as shoot touching has two medals uh Farkasova is still the winner of this games in the, yeah yeah <laughs> in just unreal form uh and then if we go to the standing event um so the big surprise in this was Marie Bochet from France was the favorite to win she DNF'd really early in the course in the downhill which means that there was a new downhill gold medalist um, because she'd won the last two. <laughs> so Molly Jepson from Canada ended up winning with a time of 1 minute and 21.75 seconds, only 0.1 seconds ahead of China's Zhang Menqi, uh, which, I mean, these courses go down to hundredth of a second rather than thousandth of a second, but still 0 0.10 seconds, is there's nothing in that. Um, and she was at the last time split ahead when she'd been behind for most of the race. And clearly Molly Jepson's like final section was just ridiculous because it ate up, I think it was close to like 0.25 seconds, like difference in that time. And then Sweden's Ebba Astor uh, ended up with a time of 1 minute and 23.20 to claim the bronze medal. <laughs> and Zhang Mengchu has probably a little bit of a, of a hard time here as much as we can say that for someone who has two Paralympic medals because she was 0.1 second from taking two gold medals home in this one. Um, Marie Boucher finished second in the Super G, um, but Zhang Menchu finished to gold 
um, and Alana Ramsey of Canada took bronze. So we do have similar representation again, but again, we've got a Chinese athlete who is really coming to the fore um, with a consistent performance. You know, it's not a, in this case, it is a world beating, but take the house down performance, but um, to have both disciplines covered with a, a, a gold and then an almost gold is um, pretty spectacular. Yeah. And I think, when you look at like how China's performed for the rest of these games, and it's probably something we're going to be talking about by the end of these games, like China winning its first Paralympic gold medal in 2018 sounds bizarre when they've won six in two days. Yeah. Um, a <laughs> and like, investment goes a long way. A lot of investment yeah, goes just, a really long way. Yeah, like, yes, it is a home Paralympics. That is a huge advantage. But at the same time, they are competing in more events than ever before. And that means that you actually do have to invest in these athletes to a certain extent. Um, I also want to add that Marie Brochet and Alana Ramsey actually have the exact same time. Um, so I believe that the difference between what splits the silver and the gold is the... Um, Ending, ends up being like what the actual time was because they do end up with different uh, time percentages that are taken into account based on what their actual classification is. Because whilst it is a standing event, it is a standing event where there are several different kinds of impairments. And as a result, you've got to actually factor that into their times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then in the sitting, um, Gold and silver have gone to the exact same athletes uh, in both the downhill and the super G because Momoka Maruka uh, and Anna Lena Forster have won gold and silver both times. Um, and then additionally, China has won the bronze medal, except unlike the vision impaired and standing events, it's been two different athletes. So in the downhill, it was Liu Sitong, and in the super G, it's Zhang Wenjin. And it's just like, the problem with the sitting event has been that there's been a lot of DNFs. So I believe it was in the downhill event, it was only the podium that actually finished. Whereas there were more finishes in the Super G event, but at the same time, like as a result, that means that we've got a new person on the podium, but they're still from the host country. Yeah. I mean, I think we can say the same things that we've, we've already said already. I mean, <laughs> there's not too many new things that we say about people who've, you know, taking both disciplines home so far and China really have you know put on quite the show at a home Paralympics yeah and we might move on to the biathlon event because that's been uh, dominated by one country in the men's uh that country being Ukraine um so in the six kilometer event uh there was three classifications same as the alpine it's still the visually impaired sitting and standing ukraine won five of the nine medals and two of the three gold medals uh in particular and it's the thing that prayed for during the olympics but only saw once in the uh two-man bobsleigh was that oh, there was yeah, a podium sweet. sweep <laughs> yeah on day one with the ukrainians sweeping the visually impaired class um to add on to that they had five in the top six like it's I ridiculous thought we had agreement that once we had a podium sweep at a winter games we could all go home i thought that was the rule <laughs> that you said about this so five in the i top did not six, make that rule <laughs> five in the top six definitely gets me that's incredible dominance yeah so the winner was vitaly lukachenko 
Uh, he finished with a time of 17 minutes and 5.8 seconds. Alexander Kazik was a little bit way back uh, with a time of 17.31.9 and Dimitra Suryako uh, ended up with a time of 17 minutes and 33.3 seconds. I think additionally what is like incredible about Ukraine's performance in the uh, biathlon so far has been the fact that like a few days ago they weren't 100% sure that they were going to be able to get to the Paralympics um, and then they've shown up and just wiped the floor with everyone in at least the visually impaired class. Um, which you normally just don't see at a normal games, but to do that when there's additional like pressure and additional things probably going on in your life um, is additionally incredible. Uh, then in the sitting event, Liu Zixu ended up winning the gold medal. Uh, he finished the time of 18 minutes and 51.5 seconds. Taras Rad uh, from Ukraine also won silver in this event with a 19.09. Um, and then Liu Mengtao ended up winning bronze with 19.32.3. So host nation, very comfortable in the sitting category. I think what's also interesting, because for some reason I just assumed that they would just be in the seated position for their shooting. They do still do the prone position, which is where you end up lying on your stomach and shooting in the biathlon. Um, and the ability to like get up that quickly and back into the chair because of the way that the chair tilts in your body um, for the prone position, it's incredible. Like it's one of those things where I'm just like, that is good engineering on part of the chair, but also like the upper body strength that like takes when you've just had to like ski there using mostly your arms, like adds to it. All in the upper body strength. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in the standing event, Ukraine's Yogi Volchaniski ended up taking gold, our fastest time on the course by far, with a time of 16 minutes and 17.6 seconds. Uh, not quite a minute ahead of Marco Meyer from Germany. He finished the time of 17.03.4. Still, still 45 second gap. I mean, it's not much. Yeah. Uh, and then Mark Ardens from Canada ended up taking bronze with a 17, 13.6. Um, so clearly Ukraine, absolutely crushing it. But <laughs> there's also the women's event. I'm going to leave the sitting till last, deliberately so, uh, because in the visually impaired, Ukraine took home another gold medal with Oksana Shishkova taking home gold with a 20.09.0. Liz Kazmaier from Germany won silver and Leonie Maria Welter uh, ended up winning bronze. There is about a 25 second gap between the two of them, but... I mean, Shishkova just dominated everyone. Then in the standing, uh, China took home two medals in this one. Uh, Gyo Yuji won gold with a 1943.3. Uh, Lyud Muir, Lyashenko finished with a time of 1951.7. She's additionally from Ukraine. So in total, Ukraine have won seven of 18 possible medals in the biathlon. And then Zhao Ziqing won bronze with a time of 2005.1. Um, but the big name on everyone's mind this Paralympics, the goat of just being at the Paralympics, um, <laughs> Oksana Masters won her first ever biathlon gold medal. She's won silver in the past uh, with a time of 20 minutes and 51.2 seconds. I would also add, like, if we're going to talk about, like, Ukrainians, um, she was born in Ukraine and spent, like, some of her life in Ukraine. So additionally, 
Ukraine just makes really good biathletes, clearly. <laughs> Shan Liyin won silver with a time of 21.06.3. And because all of the women's events in the biathlon have to have a double podium, apparently, the United States, Kendall Gretsch, uh, won bronze with a time of 21.52.9. Um, I like just bow down to Oksana Masters kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's her first biathlon gold medal but that's uh i mean there's not many firsts left for, for her right jackie i mean she can change sports again i guess again it's not really the first yeah. <laughs> it's like she's competing in both the biathlon and the cross country at this paralympics she switched from rowing to cycling between the summer um paralympics like i just girl like Pick another sport because you're probably going to excel at it. That's what I'm learning here. I mean, th th um, there is more talent in her little finger than there is in so many places. <laughs> yeah, so she's, as I said, she's competing in the cross-country skiing as well. Um, there was the 15-kilometre sitting event today. And, of course, she won another medal, uh, this time silver. She finished in a time of 43 minutes and 38.8 seconds, 32.1 seconds behind Yang Hong Kyung uh, from China, who finished with 43.6.7. And then she was actually bookended by two Chinese athletes because the bronze medalist, Li Pan Pan, finished with the time of 45 minutes and 17 seconds. So there's a big difference between master's performance and Li Pan Pan's performance um like a minute and 40 seconds difference um so like the silver was solidly hers it's just that like also the silver was solidly hers because she missed out on gold by 30 seconds yeah I mean it to be in multiple disciplines um winning medals is just an incredible feat for for anyone um and to be doing it in you know the third sport and fourth sport that you compete at the Olympics is, I, I mean, it's absurd, but absurd doesn't feel like it quite covers what that is. Exactly. Um, I think like just how well she's done consistently over, I said 10 because Paralympics the other night, but I think I was actually thinking of 10 years because um, this is like her sixth Paralympics in a row she goes to them every two years rather than every four years like the normal people do <laughs> um <laughs> then the men's event we had another chinese double podium they went one and two this time zheng peng uh, finished at the time of 43 minutes and 9.2 seconds 14.6 seconds ahead of his countryman mao zhong wu and Canada rounded out the podium with Colin Cameron finishing with a time of oh, 47 minutes and 36.6 seconds. So like we were kind of joking about that two minute time difference a few seconds ago. That is a four and a half minute time difference between first and third. It's a pretty dominant performance, I think is the way yeah. to call that. <laughs> I don't like there wasn't four minutes between first and 50th in the 15 kilometer event at the Olympics granted that was actually considered a sprint event they are very different but at the same time like four That's and a half huge. minutes on the podium <laughs> like on the monstrous. podium um but yeah I think that the cross-country skiing like 
there's still a ways to go. And I, as I said, I think Oksana Masters is due a couple more medals these games if she's got more events to compete in. And then we're going to move on to the snowboarding, but it, literally we're just going to talk about Ben Tutto because it was just seating today. Um, so no medals, no actual races, but Ben did really well in his seating. He's in the uh, lower limb two class and he ended up third, I believe it was, in seating overall. Um, two really good runs though. I think there was like yeah. a 0.10 difference in his two times. Yeah, I mean, he, he 0.01 seconds between the two. Um, he was really close um, and he's not far off the mark. I mean, it, he showed over these seeding runs that he's a genuine medal shot on time and talent alone. And for anyone who has forgotten the last few weeks, uh, snowboard cross comes down to a lot more than just that. But if you've got that, you're in a pretty good spot. Well, and I think the fact that it's now going into the racing format tomorrow is going to be a big help for him because he is the World Cup winner in the snowboard cross specifically, but also just the best men's uh, snowboarder in the lower limb two class this year. So he is actually a very much considered a medal favorite slash gold medal favorite even. It's just he's got to get through a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and then a big final to get there. And it's going to be a big ask. I, but I, I think... cannot handle the nerves. I'm like snowboard cross and my anxiety just do not mix. <laughs> It's it's so stressful. It stresses me out. Um, but that is probably the biggest thing I'm looking forward to on day three. Um, crossing my fingers, crossing my toes, hoping that there is an Aussie medal. And it has to be Ben because there's no Alpine skiing tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, then we've got the Para Ice Hockey, which is one of the coolest events, I think. Um, to put it out there, United States absolutely dominating. Uh, they beat Canada, who is the second best team in the world, 5-0 on day one, then proceeded to beat South Korea 9-1. Um, they were 9-0 at the end of the second period and then clearly took the foot off the gas because they not only did not score in the third period, that was where they were scored against. But it, it's now at the point where it's like conceding calls like that. It's I mean it's not yeah. it's totally unacceptable by this team that is that far in front. I mean, what are they thinking? I mean, I think now it's at the point where it's like Canada and South Korea are gonna be playing each other tomorrow because this was the draw that had RPC in it who got disqualified. Um, so the United States also gets a day off, but they're gonna be playing each other being like, all right, if we beat whoever wins today does not have to play the United States in the semifinal. Like there is zero chance we are playing the United States in the semifinal now. So that's like your goal to win, to like potentially make the gold medal match is just please don't make us play the United States before the gold medal match again. Um, and then on the other side of the draw, we've only actually had the first round of matches happen so far because China's a few hours behind us and the games start pretty late. Uh, but Czech Republic beat the fourth place finishers from 2018, Italy 5-0, and then host nation China beat in its down city. day... Yeah, in its debut in para ice hockey at the Paralympics, beat Slovakia 7-0. Like... That's one of those things where I'm like, where where has China been? Like, as I said, beat down city. Like, that is a beating. <laughs> but then there was also the wheelchair curling, which this is the event that we actually expected China to do really well in because that was where they won their first gold medal in 2018. 
not the case this year. Uh, they lost their first match against Canada 7-3, and then their second match against Sweden, they lost 5-1. Granted, Sweden, Canada, and Norway are the three best-looking countries at this Paralympics so far in the wheelchair uh, curling. I mean, China are not far off the pace, but they're not quite getting it done so far. And I mean, that is a, a big surprise to us. We did think that that was going to be a big event, but I wonder whether someone may have gotten mixed up and gotten on the wrong coaching bus or the wrong bus and gone to the hockey instead because the way that that's being dominated. (laughs) I mean, I think that what China, like they basically just need to beat up a couple of countries. The United States is probably going to be one of those countries that they need to beat up on a little bit, just then make the semifinals and then they're probably going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, cruise from there. I mean, they're, they're like one of those teams that you know is going to make the playoffs and you just like just just cruise through to the playoffs and, and then the action really starts for them. Yeah, and I think that the United States performances have been surprising as well because they lost 9-3 to Slovakia and then lost 10-6 to Great Britain. And granted, Great Britain's 10-6 scoreline, like they played a lot better than they did against Slovakia. It was the start of the seventh end. It was actually 6-5 to the United States' favour. And then Great Britain had a double and a triple on the final two ends and it was just like, well... Pack it in. Yeah. Um, But I think it's been a really interesting wheelchair curling competition so far. It's obviously a lot different to watch um, as far as there's no sweepers. Um, So it's very much tactical about your uh, skippers at one end calling what you should be doing. And then the other um, team members are pushing the actual curling stone. But it still makes it an interesting competition and it's high scoring competition. Like compared to the games at the Olympics, like some of those games are only like three to five and these are like nine to six. And that yeah, sort of absolutely. Thing. I mean, it just shows you how how good these athletes are. And um, I think at times we, we sideline the Paralympics and we forget just how talented these athletes are and the fact that they are supreme in their competitions. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's a shame is the fact that it's a pretty short competition, the Paralympics, because it's only going until next Sunday, um, which (laughs) means there is a lot less action to watch, but also, like, at least every day is action-packed. There is 12 medals most days. (laughs) I mean, we're Um, going to get Paralympic exhaustion soon. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but we are reaching the end of the episode. So Dan, would you like to share your social media handle? Well, uh, as usual, you can find me at decouple on all good social media networks uh, <laughs> and probably some not so good social media networks too. Uh, you can find me at dodzy161 on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok as well, actually. Uh, but this has been Ascending Olympus. You can find Ascending Olympus on Ascending Ollie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Ascending Olympus is a part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd at Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can also read any of our Paralympic stories, Olympic stories, sports and culture stories at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Ascending Olympus is coming to you about every other day during the Paralympics. It'll be coming at 7 a.m. the the same way we did it during the Winter Olympics. But thanks for listening and we'll see you in two days. (laughs)